We continue with our reading in the second letter of Peter, chapter 1, which you'll find on page 1222 in the Church Bible. So, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of my body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. But we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were there with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, last night we had the uh, sports quiz here in the church, which was a great event, particularly the, uh, the result, the best team won. Um, not that my contribution had anything to do with it at all, I think it's despite me. Um, I don't know about uh, you guys, I have a bit of, a, bit of a love-hate relationship with quizzes. Um, it's a great moment when you can recall the name of the guy who won the decathlon in the 1984 games, isn't it? You can bring that name to mind. But then there's that real frustration when you see a picture on the screen and you know the guy, but what is their name? What is their name? And you just can't remember it. I guess that is the frustrating thing about quizzes. We have embarrassing moments of memory loss, uh, which can be quite amusing. But of course, there's also a very tragic side to, to memory loss, isn't there? Those of you who are caring for relatives with uh, dementia or, or Alzheimer's uh, will know very well to be not recognised by somebody you've spent most of your life with is a very distressing thing. Well, Peter's writing here in this letter, and he's aware that he hasn't got long to live. The Lord's made that clear to him. And there's a peace that he feels. Um, 
He knows he will soon be putting aside what he calls the the tent of the body, his uh, temporary abode, and taking up permanent residence with, uh, with God, where he will receive a new body, one which won't wear out. There's a peace, but there's also an urgency, because as those who are diagnosed with a terminal illness are aware, they're encouraged to to put their affairs in order. And um, what that often means is sorting out their financial things, which is important to do. But as Peter prepares to go to be with the Lord, his focus here is on a very different legacy. It's in verse 15 there. Make every effort, he says to his readers, to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Now, this is not about the mental ability to recall names and dates. This is about allowing the the knowledge of the truth that you already have. He's writing to believers. He's saying, allow that to be so real and alive that it will allow you to grow in your faith and grow forward in confidence. That is Peter's legacy he wants to leave behind. It's something he will leave through his letters that we have here. Something through the the Gospel of Mark, which was, um, for which he was the main, main source. We've started um, a new sermon series in the letter of 2 Peter we started last week. And uh, if we just turn to the end of this letter, we can remind ourselves, what is the purpose that Peter is writing here? Let's turn to verse 17 of chapter 3. Now, this is how he ends the letter, which is all, what it all, is all building up to. He says, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. In short, he's writing to help Christians grow in their faith and in so doing not fall away. As we looked at last week, he wants them, in verse 10, to make every effort to confirm your call and your election. And there are three things I'd like to bring out from this passage this morning to to help us grow in our faith. Now, although Peter's writing to believers here and um, the issues he mentions are very much for them, they're not just of relevance to those who already have a faith. And I hope for those here this morning who don't yet know Christ as their their saviour, they will find this helpful as well as we look at what is most important. Well, the first point I want to mention, though, to grow in our faith, we need to be reminded constantly of the truth of God. Paul is well aware that people he's writing to know the truth. He's not explaining this to them for the first time. He's not hoping they will, will get it. He says in verse 12, I will always remind you of these things. Even though you know them, even though you are firmly established in the truth that you now have. He's well aware of these who have professed faith, who have made a good start in the life of faith and obedience. But they've stopped growing. They've they've drifted away. And what he's saying is that is a, a terrible position to be in. And we'll see later on in the the letter how serious he thinks that is. If you just look over in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, 
and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. He doesn't want this to happen to his readers. And that includes us today. He doesn't want us to fall away from the faith we profess. He wants more than anything, in the words of verse 11 of chapter 1, to receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. That is a welcome he's going to receive, he's about to receive. He has received already in the sense of coming to faith. But he wants to make sure that his readers receive that. And the way he says to make sure of that is to grow, as we looked at last week, in those Christ-like qualities of, uh, of goodness, of knowledge, of self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Those are the, the outward marks of an inner transformation that is going on. And the key here is not saying, right, I'm really determined to, to do all these things well, to be good, to be knowledgeable, to be self-controlled. Because if we take that attitude and think we can do it ourselves, we will fail, we will become discouraged. Remember that clip we watched a couple of weeks ago from Total Wipeout, that uh, PE teacher who said um, she was doing this to show her kids they can do anything if they put their mind to it. And she dismally failed, didn't she? Yes, we need to make every human effort, but the power comes from God. The power comes from God. Let's look at that verse we, we read earlier on with the, the children. Verse 3 there, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Our knowledge of him, the strength of our relationship with him, remembering the promises that he has made to us, And trusting in those promises, that is what will give us the power to go on in our faith. We need to be reminded of the truth. And if you're like me, you will need all sorts of uh, lists to remember what to do. Some people have post-it notes scattered around, stuck everywhere, like um, the guy on this picture coming up. Others who prefer the, uh, the electronic reminders, the gadgets that tell them where they're meant to be at any one particular time. But Peter's not saying here, remind yourself that Monday is goodness, Tuesday, now you're meant to be doing knowledge, Wednesday is self-control. No, he's saying remind yourself of God's goodness to you. And then you will want to grow in these qualities. And you will have the power to do so. We need to remind ourselves of the truth. We also need to remind each other of the truth. How can we do that, though? How can we do that practically? Well, there's a good book here that I know a number of us have been reading, particularly the elders have all got a copy of this. It's called um, Everyday Church by Tim Chester and Steve Timmis. Um, a lot of it is about, being, about mission by being good neighbours. But there's a very useful chapter in there called Everyday Pastoral Care. And um, it's applicable not just to pastors, but to everybody in the church, to to offer pastoral care to to each other. And um, in the book they mention four, what they call liberating truths about God. Um, And the fact that most of our our, our negative emotions, our problems arise because we are not believing one of those four truths. 
Um, for example, the truth that God is great. We need to remind each other that when things don't go our way and life is not under control, that God is sovereign. That, that he uses everything that happens to us for our goods, whether we can see that ourselves or not. God is great. God is glorious. We need to remind each other that when we don't get the approval of somebody, the, the affirmation that we think we deserve, when others let us down, there is only one person we need to fear, only one person whose approval really means something. And that is God, who's given us his approval in Jesus Christ. He, he affirms us, he loves us. God is glorious, God is good. You know, when we don't find satisfaction in our, in our work, our relationships, our, our leisure time, or if that satisfaction is there but it's threatened, that it might be taken away, remind ourselves that God is the source of all lasting joy. God is good. God is gracious. If we are are desperate to earn God's approval, to prove ourselves worthy of his love. We're disappointed with ourselves when we fail. Again, we need to be reminded that God's love is not something to be earned. It's not conditional, not dependent on our achievement. It is gracious. He forgives us on the basis of the blood of Christ on our behalf. God is gracious. And these are truths that we know as Christians, and yet it's easy to forget them, isn't it? And that's why Peter says here, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. And that is why much of the the stuff that uh, Jeff and I preach each week will not be stuff that is new, that you don't know already. It's stuff that you know. But we all need to be reminded of it. How else does Peter encourage us to grow in our faith? Well, to grow in our faith, we need also, as we look at verses 16 onwards, to focus on the second coming. Here he introduces a theme that is very prominent in the whole letter, and which he obviously feels is very important. It's the second coming of Christ, known as the day of uh, judgment, the day of the Lord. And the way he introduces it there in verse 16, have a look down at the the text. It says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the way he refers to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is almost the, the climax, the summary of all the great promises that he has made to us. That is the moment when we will see how everything led up to this point and when we will have no doubt of his glory and power and majesty. That is the moment when we will be in his presence. We will see the one who's described here as the majestic glory. Now the second coming has been dismissed by those outside the church as something a bit sort of made up, as fanciful, probably doesn't help when you get um, these people who think they know exactly the date when Christ is going to come again, and they will go and sell all their earthly belongings and go and climb a mountain and wait for Christ to come. But of course the Bible tells us we don't know, nobody knows when he will come. 
But we do know that he will come one day. And Peter says here, this is not a cleverly invented story. You can trust in it, first of all, because, verse 16, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, it's interesting here that instead of going on to write about the way he, the apostles saw Jesus die and rise to life and ascend to heaven, which would have been great testimonies, wouldn't they, of uh, his power, what he talks about here is the transfiguration, the moment when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a mountain, and we're told that Jesus' face shone like the sun, that his clothes were as white as the light. And not only that, they heard the voice of God from heaven. They heard God himself say, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And at that point we're told they they fell face down to the ground. They're absolutely terrified. The reason I think that he's mentioning this episode is probably that is the moment when they caught a glimpse of Christ in his full glory and majesty. Jesus Christ is God. But when he appeared on earth in human form, not all of his full glory and majesty was on display for all to see. If he had appeared in his true glory, then people would have had no choice but to follow him. But in that moment on the mountain, those three disciples, they saw something of the true glory and majesty of God. And it's that vision that Peter has stored up in his mind throughout his whole life that has kept him going through the 30-odd years of ministry since Jesus had died. And it's that vision that he now wants to encourage his readers with. Because there will be times when we see human powers and authorities, particularly in this country, constantly diminishing the influence of the Christian faith. And it's easy to forget that Christ does reign. That one day he will come again and demonstrate his power and his authority when every knee will bow. Peter is saying, keep your eyes focused on the end, on the goal. Otherwise, it would be like running a marathon, so I'm told. don't know myself, but I'd imagine if I were running a marathon, I would be running along, and there would be distractions along the way, wouldn't there? Whether you're doing the London Marathon, and I'm sure you probably pass by a McDonald's on one side, or a Starbucks, or, a, or the Little Crown, whatever takes your fancy. And there'll be a temptation just to have a slight diversion, have a little break, and never actually get to the finishing post. Keep your eyes on the goal, Peter is saying, the second coming when Christ will come in glory. And that will keep you going. That will help you grow in your faith. Well, finally, we need to, um, as we grow in our faith, to pay attention to the word of God as to a light shining in a dark place. Having said that um, he was an eyewitness of Jesus' majesty, Peter goes on to say there in verse 19, have a look. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. Prophets who prophesied about that same day of the Lord when when he would come again. And Peter is saying you can trust it because, verse 20, no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy, verse 21, never had its origin in the will of man, 
But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word of God, he's saying, the whole word of God, not just the prophets, is inspired by God. And this is actually a very important principle because our response to this defines who we are as a church. We are an evangelical church and one of the, the key features of an evangelical church is that we submit ourselves to the authority of the Bible. We believe it is reliable. We be, believe it is without error. God used humans to write it with their different personalities, their, their different styles, but ultimately they were inspired by the Spirit. And so God ensured that every word he wanted was the one he inspired and ensured that they wrote. But Peter's main point here, though, is not just that you can trust in the Bible, that it's from God. He's saying he's given it to us so that we can know him better. Look at verse 19 there. He says, You will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I don't know if any of you have seen the film 127 Hours. It's about a, a young man who goes uh, rock climbing um, in the US and he ends up falling down this, this narrow sort of crevice um, and this boulder falls down at the same time. As he falls, it lands on his arm and traps him against the side of the, the rock face. So he can't move. Um, he remains trapped there, as the name of the film suggests, for 127 hours. Um, which is a few days. But during that time there, what he looks forward to is the 15 minutes every day when the sun is directly above this gap and shines down light into where he is and he basks in that light. I won't tell you how he gets out. It's not pretty. (laughs) But why is the word of God described as a light shining in a dark place? Because the world in which we live, we're told in the Bible, is a dark place. Yes, there's a lot of good in it. You know, we are all made in the image of God, so there must be goodness in the world. There's lots to enjoy about it. But when you're living in a society which is increasingly living without reference to God, it will have an effect on you. And often it's quite subtle. You know, we don't realise that we're being sucked in by other worldviews other goals, other ambitions. We don't realise that the light is getting dimmer. We are daily in a spiritual battle. How do we deal with that? Well, the way we deal with that, Peter says, is pay attention to the word of God. Pay attention to the words of the prophets, he says, the messengers of God who pointed to Jesus Christ. Pay attention to the whole of the word of God because it's only when you weigh up everything you do against what God says we should do, that you will know you're submitting yourself to his will. And that is why the reading, the, the exposition of the Bible is such an important part of the worship here. Because it's through our study of God's word that we know that it is him speaking to us. And it's not just us coming up with our own clever ideas. If you were here um, in church on the last Sunday in February, you would have... Um, hopefully filled out a questionnaire which was entitled um, Living the Christian Life. So part of a survey going on throughout the, the country. Um, we have now received the results back and we'll be uh, going through those and letting you know um, 
some interesting things we've learned about ourselves and how we can help each other and the church. One of the questions in the survey was this. It was, in the past year, do you believe you've grown in your Christian faith? The four answers you could choose from were, yes, much growth. Um, yes, some growth. And no, oh, no, no real growth. And no, my faith is actually weakened. I think the responses were roughly 20% um, much growth, 60% some growth, and uh, 20% no, no growth. Now, clearly, we need to help as a church those who are not experiencing growth, because Peter says here they are at risk of falling away. Um, if we're in that category, we need to be honest with ourselves and seek help. We, we don't need to be prior, proud, but uh, see, that's what we're here for, to seek the help of others. What I was also interested in was the follow-up question, though, for those who had grown, which was giving the reasons why they felt their faith had grown. Top three answers were, first of all, seeing answers to prayer, 68%. Then came Sunday worship and sermons, 57%. And then came encouragement and support of other Christians, 52%. All really good ways of helping us grow in our faith. One of the interesting things there, as you read it though, was of those who said they'd grown much, the main answer they had given with 71% was personal Bible study and prayer. And what I would deduce from that, that and which we should really know, is that coming on a Sunday and hearing a sermon is a good thing. Going along to a home group or a prayer meeting once a week is a good thing. But it's not enough to allow that light to burn brightly, to cast out the shadows. Peter here was concerned about Christians drifting away. And he knew it was when we stop reading the Word of God, or when we stop humbly submitting ourselves to the Word of God, that we will run the risk of drifting away. If you um, read the paper, the key issues that apparently divide the Church of England are things like gay marriage and, and women bishops. But actually, they're just presenting issues. The real thing that divides people often is the attitude to the Word of God. Are people willing to submit to what it says there, to its authority over our lives? Even those bits which we find difficult, which we don't really think can be right. Surely they can't be right. But Peter says, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. It came from God. Well, later on in Peter, we'll see how Peter talks about false teachers, those who've interpreted things in their own way. Um, but for today, let me leave you with the, the image of that guy trapped in the canyon who had no choice about how much light he could receive into his life during the day. We do have a choice. It may not be about how much sunlight we can receive. It would be nice to see a bit more of that. But in terms of the light of the Word of God, are we allowing it to, to permeate our lives, to, to burn brightly? Are we basking ourselves in that? Or is it growing dim? Peter saw the urgency to warn us that unless we grow in our faith, we run the risk of falling away. If we're going to live our lives with confidence, 
then we need to remind ourselves and each other continually of the truth. We need to focus on the goal of the second coming. And we need to pay attention to the word of God as a light shining in a dark place.